Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, I'm so glad that I get to uh, explain God's Word to you one more time while I'm in the official capacity here at Harvest KL. This is, in a sense, uh, a little bit of a farewell, but I get to continue to provide preaching uh, in the coming months as well uh, on a regular basis. And so I, I'm excited that we get to, I get to do that as well. But in, in the midst of this, I wanted to have one more time to uh, talk a little bit from our series called It's a Boy. We've been celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ uh, through our Christmas season here. And while this is a few days after Christmas, uh, there's a, a text of scripture that I want us to see, and, and not just as a Christmas time uh, event, but as something that we should see all year round as well. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, look at Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, uh, there's just a couple of verses that uh, provide a little bit of confusion, perhaps, and that I would like to uh, just uh, give some clarity to, because the clarity is the thing that really helps us to understand an important, very important concept. I would say the most important thing that we need to know uh, as, as believers. And so uh, if you look at uh, the story in Matthew chapter 1, we see how Joseph appear, or, or the angel appears to Joseph, uh, starting in verse 18, and, and just kind of all the information that he's getting from the angel. Uh, it says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that, that's pretty obvious, right? He, he's told by the angel to call this little baby boy Jesus. And we know why. Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sins. You see, when an Israelite man gave a name to his baby, uh, particularly the baby boy, first boy, um, the name had significance. The meaning was really important. And so to see that Jesus means saving people from their sins is incredibly important. But if you go on, you see that, the, that, that in verse 22 it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it's quoted here in verse 23 of Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So does anybody have a little bit of a concern there? Like, wait a second. Uh, the angel says, call him Jesus. And yet the word of God says that all of this fulfilled what the prophet said, and the prophet said that they're going to call his name Emmanuel. That seems like two different things. And if you were just to be quickly reading, if you weren't really a student of the word of God, you would think that there's just some sort of uh, something, something weird is happening here, that maybe the Bible doesn't agree with itself. And, and that actually what I want to show you is how important it is to see how do we merge those two names together. Is, is, is that really what is supposed to be going on here? And so um, I was looking, uh, I was thinking a little bit about this concept here this morning, and you actually have to go all the way back in Israel's history to when they first found salvation. The Old Testament salvation story, the Old Testament gospel is the Exodus. 
You remember how the people of Israel were taken into Egypt and, and God used that time period to incubate them and make them into a, a very numerous and strong, strong nation. Uh, they were enslaved there for uh, 400 years. They hadn't heard from God. And then, and then God, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, we hear, hear him reveal himself to the people and begin to show himself that he's going to lead them out of Egypt and to the promised land. And so um, actually what we see here is uh, in the story and in the telling of this, in Leviticus chapter 26, we have a really important statement. Leviticus 26, um, verse, verse 13, actually verse 11, it says, I will make my dwelling among you. Now, it's going to be important that you understand the word dwelling and that God dwells, his presence. We're going to be talking about this over and over. I'm going to make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves, and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you to walk erect or upright. And so God says here, uh, at the beginning, or in the telling of the story of what happened, that, that I'm going to be the God who dwells with you. Now, this is important because in Exodus, this, this is Leviticus, okay, but in Exodus we hear the story and how that goes on. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, he says, this is when he first introduces himself to Israel on Mount Sinai. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I mean, this is, this is so tender and this is so soft and this is so important that as God introduces himself to his people, he says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, uh, that's actually uh, exactly what we hear all over the story of the Exodus and, and the telling of it. And Moses, at the very end of his life, when he gives a, a, a big speech to, the, to Israel, it's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 37, he, he says it this way. He says, And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, he, he tells us, God tells us, I brought you out of Egypt with my presence. You see, the presence of God becomes incredibly important. It becomes the most important thing. And, and that's even true today. And so when we hear that, that at the beginning, the angel says, name him Jesus, he's going to save people from their sins. And the prophet says, but his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We begin to see how those two concepts, uh, they, they potentially have some touch points that go together in an incredibly important way. And what we see is that in the story of Exodus, those two things merge in a powerful way. Let me tell you the story here a little bit. He says this. Um, he says, remember, in Le Leviticus 26, he said, I'm going to make my dwelling among you. The word dwelling, actually, literally, I'm going to tabernacle among you. Now, that's, that's an important thing because this tabernacle was this place where they were going to construct a portable tent while they were in the desert before they would build a temple. And the tabernacle was where God's presence was going to be among the people. So when God promises that I'm going to dwell among you, it was going to be in the tabernacle. So God says to Moses, hey, come up the mountain. I want to tell you how the tabernacle is supposed to be built. 
And so while Moses is up there, he's actually up there for an incredibly long time. And while he's up there, uh, the people begin to get impatience, impatient. And, and <laughs> as God is telling him that the, the law, the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and how the tabernacle was to be built, uh, the people be, got so impatience, impatient that they began to uh, make a, a brand new religion, if you will. Israel disobeyed. They were not patient. They were impatient. And, and they made a whole new religion. They, they, they made a substitute religion, if you will, that they were going to go into the land without Moses even. He was up there. They thought they'd kind of lost him. And so they were just going to build their own religion and go into the land uh, while Moses was getting the details about how God was going to dwell among them. And so when Moses uh, hears, God says to him, hey, you, you should see what the people are doing. They he comes down the mountain, and he's so upset, he throws the tablets and breaks them, right? You know the, that story? And in the midst of that, uh, the first thing he has to do is put down a rebellion. And so he says, who is on the Lord's side? And you would expect, this is God's people, this is Israel. They would all say, we are, we are. But actually, hardly anybody does. It's only the tribe of Levi, who Moses is actually from, that says that we're on the Lord's side. All the other 11, 12, 11 tribes, they, they don't say they're on the Lord's side. And so Moses has to put down a rebellion. It's one tribe against 11. He actually has to go to war with the, with the nation at that point. And, and in the midst of that, God says to him, these people have sinned so badly, so wickedly, that I cannot, I cannot actually dwell among them anymore. So in, in Exodus 32, we hear the story of the substitute religion and the, the golden calf that Aaron makes for them. And the Lord says to Moses, go down to the people. They've turned aside. They've made a golden calf in verse 8. And, and the Lord said to Moses in verse 9, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And that's the reason that God says, I can't dwell among them. He says, they're a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, uh, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I'm going to consume them in order to, to make a great nation out of you. And he, he says to Moses, I'm, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to destroy all of them. God says, I can't go in the midst of them any longer. I can't be in their presence any longer. And Moses prays and, and, he, and, he, and he asks God to, to find another way. And, and God does actually find another way. He, he finds a substitute way. He actually says, and really the most important part of this is at the end of the, end of the chapter here, we see that, that God says that the angel of the Lord, who is God himself, will go before the people, but he won't dwell in the midst of the people any longer. Now, that seems like a solution, but it's, it's so devastating. It's so sad. God, who has said to the people at the beginning, I'm going to dwell among you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God, is now saying, because of your stiff-necked nature, because of your sinfulness, I can't dwell among you anymore. I'll go before you, but I can't dwell among you. And actually makes an arrangement where Moses goes outside of the camp of the nation of Israel, goes far off from the camp to a tent of meeting that is set up where God meets with him. God comes to the door and speaks to Moses in that place because he can't be in the midst of the people because his anger burns hot against them because of their stiff-necked nature. So God agrees and he makes a way, and in a sense, he brings forgiveness. 
So, so this is the whole idea of that God will forgive people their sins. Like that's an awesome concept. That's an amazing concept. But what we see here is he does far more than just forgive us our sins. So, so the story goes on here and Moses is meeting in this tent and uh, he pleads to God in, in Exodus chapter 34. And he asks God for two things. He asks God to reveal his name to him, which it's interesting, that name had already been revealed. The angel of the Lord said his name was Yahweh. His name was God himself. And so Moses already knew that, but he's asking for that to be revealed again. Uh, and, and then he makes this incredible prayer. He makes this incredibly beautiful prayer in Exodus chapter 34, verses 8 and 9. He says this, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. You see, Moses is asking for the presence of God to dwell in the middle of them again. And, he, he, and then he gives the reason why he's asking God. And it's fascinating what his reason is. I mean, this is such a beautiful prayer. Remember how God said, I can't be in the midst of them because of the stiff-necked nature of these people, the sinful nature? Moses says the very same thing. He says, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take for us for your inheritance. Moses goes to God in this amazing prayer and says, the very reason we need you in our presence is because we are sinful and we need to be forgiven of our sins. Do you see the beauty of that? We, we see here that, that God is saying, or Moses is saying to God, would you please tabernacle around, uh, among us because we desperately need your presence? Really, it's the turning point of the book of turning point of the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus. Because from here on out, actually, the heading in ver, over verse ten in your Bible probably says the covenant renewed. God said, "Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been created in earth or any nation, and all the people among whom you." You are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God says, I am going to forgive you. And he says to Moses' response, I am going to be with in the midst of the people again. I will renew my covenant with because of forgiveness. I will renew my, my covenant in that way. It's so important that you see how vastly important it is that God dwells in the midst of his people. That, that it's his presence that is the most important thing in this world. The absolute most important thing. And, and, and so God says, I'm not just going to lead you out of slavery, but I'm going to forgive your sins so that I can dwell with you. Do, do you see how, man, that sounds an awful lot like the New Testament, but this is the Old Testament. Do you see, that sounds an awful lot like grace, and it's right in the midst of the, the Old Testament story, right in the midst of the, the gospel, the greatest gospel story in the Old Testament. And what we're seeing here is that this is God consistently showing his character. He never changes, consistently showing his character all throughout Scripture. And what we see here is that when God uh, sent Jesus to earth, remember what Jesus said right before he died about himself in the temple? He said, I'm going to destroy the temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it back up. 
And really what Jesus is saying there at that moment is he's, he's equate, equating himself. He's saying, my body is the tabernacle. My body is the place of God's presence. And he's identifying his body as this tabernacle, which is so important because of what John says in John chapter 1. Are you familiar with John chapter 1, verse 14? John 1, 14 says that uh, the word, he, he, he begins with the whole idea of the word, and the word is the logos, the, the, and, and he's talking about who Jesus actually is. And, and, and then he says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. It's interesting, John actually uses, he's actually using the reference back into the book of Exodus where God reveals his name and he says, I'm Yahweh full of grace and truth. And, And John using that reference says that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John, it's being revealed that Jesus is God and that he's present with us. He's dwelling among us. He has put on flesh and dwelt with us in this way. He's tabernacling with us, tabernacling tabernacling with us. And so we begin to see then how the, the two names in Matthew actually are referring to the same thing. They're referring to the God who has always said, I will bring you out of slavery and I will free you from that and I will forgive your sins. I'm going to save you from your sins. That's that's Jesus. And then I'm not just going to save you from your sins and let you go do whatever you want. I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be there with you. Emmanuel, God with us. God is not just a deliverer of his people. He abides with his people. Our theme this year in 2020 has been abide. We've done most of the work out of John 15 and how important it is to remain attached to the vine of Jesus Christ. But, But the reason it's so important to be attached to the vine of Jesus Christ is because he is the one who saves and the one who dwells among us. His presence is among us. He is the one who put on flesh and and is full of the glory, who is God himself in that way. So in terms of covenant relationship, we see here that God, listen, he saves. That's the greatest message ever. But the greatest reality is he doesn't just save, he's with us. It's his presence that matters the most. So I've been learning quite a bit about God's presence recently. I've been, uh, you know, this, is, this year has been one big lesson about God's power in presence. We couldn't have known that things were, that usually make us too busy to to notice and treasure God's presence were going to be ripped away from us by COVID. We haven't been to church to be able to, to worship together and to hear each other's voices singing and to greet each other. We haven't done that since March, but we've discovered a sweetness as well as some of the difficulty, I would say. But there's this sweetness of being able to worship God and to be fully focused on Him instead of everybody that would normally be around us when we worship. I know for many of you, I know my kids have experienced uh, school online and then in person and back and forth, and and we've had MCOs and stuck at home and then back to the office and then back to stuck at home. In all of this, we've been forced to be still and had the opportunity to know who God is. And, And 
in our, even in my discovering that really the only viable option for Harvest KL to have a long-term sustainable future was going to be in my leaving, I felt this incredible heart-wrenching tear within me. But in it, I discovered that when God gives us a dream and then he shows up and he brings it to life, but then that dream dies, that God is trying to find out what is more important, the dream or him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Because God is infinite and infinitely capable of meeting all of our needs, God's presence is really all that matters. Nothing plus God is, more than, is not more than God alone. The greatest thing is God's presence. So no dream, no calling, no job, no relationship, no possession, no comfort is greater than God alone. Whatever loss we have felt this year, whatever we still uh, are, are experiencing in that sense, remember we have the greatest thing. We have Emmanuel, who is God with us. So let's receive his presence. Let's prepare him room to dwell. Let's truly celebrate and, and say, this is the greatest thing. And we're going to dedicate ourselves to live in light of that. Harvest KL, as I end my official time here as your pastor, I would just point you to the one thing that is the greatest treasure that we have. It is God's presence. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is more important. If we fix our eyes on that, we can be assured, we can be assured that there is no harm that would befall us. There is nothing that can rip us from that presence. There's nothing, even if something were to happen to us in this world, we have eternity with him in that way. There is no greater thing. Let's pray and thank him for that even now. Heavenly Father, as we have seen here this morning, uh, we see that your presence is the most important thing. Lord, I thank you that you're not just a God who saves us. You're not just Jesus, but that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I think that, you, that that's a consistent theme that we've seen through Scripture. That's not just something new when, when Christ was born, but this was something that you have always exhibited among your people. Lord, there, there is no greater thing than to have your presence with us. And Lord, we know we, we fall far short, short of your glory. We do not deserve to be in your presence because of sin. So thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus who saves, who forgives, who, who brings us back into relationship with, with God. And then, Lord, thank you that we can experience the presence of God in our lives. Lord, would you help us to live in light of these things? Would you help us to, Lord, remind us, please. So many times we, we fall short of living in light of this reality. We, we live as orphans, not as dearly loved children. We, we live thinking that we are not in your presence when we in fact have access because of Christ. Lord, would you, would you continue to change us? And then, Lord, would you just continue to build this church in the reality of your presence and in all that you have called us to as a result of that? Lord, would you, I just ask your continued blessing for many years, for many generations, Lord, uh, that you would continue to, to show us your glory that you would continue to reveal your name through, these, through this group of people, whoever happens to be a part of this church and all the different versions of it. And God, would you, uh, would you just continue to make yourself greatly known um, according to your purposes? Lord, we love you. And the most important thing is, is your presence. Thank you for it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.